All right, so I want to welcome everybody back to the podcast. And you know, this month we are talking about all things sex. So I brought back Amber to the podcast today, and she is going to be giving us some more wisdom. Last time we talked about religion and red table talk. This time it's going to be about religion, the church, and sex, okay? And we're going to deep dive into it. Welcome to the When Wit Happens podcast. This is a podcast that helps you find ways to celebrate and live your best life even when stuff happens. Now, here's your host, Wit West. So Amber, can you give the people who may not have listened to the last episode a little background about yourself? I mean, basically, I'm just, I'm like a ratchet lawyer. I'm a mama. I'm a nerd. And I moonlight as like a kitchen table theologian. That's basically it. I'm like, that's it. And I, you know, I try to take all of that and combine it and help people to break free from misconceptions they have, whether it's in law, politics, religion, wherever. But that's that's basically it. I'm just a girl who tries to live the truth in my little corner of the world. That's basically yes. it. Yes. <laughs> breaks it down for you <laughs> and helps you get right, whether it's something legal or religious. She got you. She got your back. So uh, what I wanted to start off by talking about is, in general, how the church um, teaches about sex. So when it came to your upbringing in church and sex, like what was the message you heard? Don't do it. I didn't, nobody taught me about sex. I just got told, don't do it. I, mm-hmm. I got told, don't do it till you get married. Um, I mean, I grew up in a Baptist church. My grandfather was the pastor of my church. So like, I didn't get any teaching about this is what sex is. This is why God designed sex. This is how he designed sex to be enjoyed. Here is a place for you to ask your questions about sex. I mean, I kind of had that a little bit with my mother, but it was very much like a, you don't want to be the girl that's pregnant, sis, um, because me and your daddy struggling right now. And if you get pregnant, we love you, but you can't live here, sis, because we can't pay our bills now. So if you get pregnant, if you yeah. want to have sex, you know, come tap me on my shoulder so I can take you to Planned Parenthood. And it was like, okay, I guess. Thank you. Yeah, it just really doesn't give you a, like, you don't even know what it is, really. Right. I feel like most people, they go into it and it's like, asking people about their first time is always like, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be or what everybody who they said they were doing it said it was and all this other stuff. Like you have absolutely no real preparation. It's just don't do it. Or, you know, even with the don't do it, a lot of people get that it's bad to do. And so like a lot of people's identity gets caught up in being that virgin. Yeah. So it's always either you don't know anything and just, but just don't do it or you get, like caught up on like not doing it so much that it's like tainting to you. So like you said, you did get a little information from your mom and she was obviously more realistic about it. If you're going to do it, tap me on my shoulder. So 
I think that's kind of how my mom and grandma were too. They were just like, they didn't really say that part. If you're going to do it, they were just like, don't do it, but don't be bringing no babies here. And we yeah. were just like, we're not yeah. trying to bring no babies around either. So we're not doing that. So none yeah. of my sisters, we, none of us have kids outside of my sister who's married. So we're just, we were just like, okay, we're going to take heed to that. <laughs> okay. Right, um, right, right. So, but again, my my sister said my mom did talk to her, but I don't know what she said. I don't even know if she remembers, but she even, she was, uh, I, after I left, she was like heavier in the church. Like I was going to church and Sunday school and all that stuff too. But obviously when I went away yeah. to school, it was less, but she was, and she even, you know, has said that, you know, she got some of that culturalization of like, oh, it's bad. It's bad. It's bad with her too. And so it's just like, how do we like combat that? Like, I don't even feel like most of the churches are open. So you, you're going to have to do this in your own home to like That's take right. back some of that stigma. Like, what would you say right. that you are trying to do with your kids or what people can do? Well, the first thing I do is I let my daughter know that we don't talk about sex we don't talk about our bodies from the place of guilt shame and judgment because that's what the church is really good about talking about sex from the position about guilt shame and judgment why are we making this conversation a bad conversation and i think that's one of the reasons why we are afraid to have the conversations about lgbtq people that's one of the reasons why we are afraid to have the conversations about why there's so much sexual abuse in our church. There's so much divorce in our church. Um, we don't give single people the ability to ask the questions. Like we make marriage this aspiration when the Bible says something actually completely different. And so everything is about guilt, shame, and judgment. We are shaming people when we should be freeing people because the spirit of God is a liberator. We mm -hmm. judge people when we should invite them in to groan openly and ask questions. And we got to be humble enough to say, I don't know. I don't know. And that's okay. And we also are really good at judging people because what we often want to do is conform people to our image when the goal should be conforming people to the image of Christ, you know, yeah. people don't have yeah. to look like us. They need to look more like Jesus. But if people don't fit our image of what a Christian should be or what a safe person should be, we're uncomfortable. So we don't want to talk about it. And that's the problem. And so at least for me and my kids, like I know my daughter is a tumble. Kelsey don't like no dresses. Kelsey don't like no fingernail pot. Kelsey doesn't like any of the stuff that you would traditionally mm -hmm. label as girly. Yeah. And for yeah. a while that made me a little bit uncomfortable. But what I tell her now is you have permission to be whatever kind of girl God created you to be. Yes. You don't mm -hmm. have to be the, the same kind of girl as mommy. God made you Kelsey girl. So that doesn't have to be like mommy. If you don't want to wear a dress, you don't have to wear a dress. So I think for me, because she's only six, yeah. but the first free step in liberating her sexually is letting her know she gets to own her identity and own her body. You get to be whatever kind of girl, whatever kind of woman mm -hmm. you want to be. 
whatever kind of woman God created you to be. So if you don't want to wear a dress, sis, you ain't got to wear a dress. If you don't want to paint your nails, you don't have to paint your nails. Yeah. You just got to be neat and clean. If you're neat and clean and you want to wear Nike, you want to wear pants, you can, you can do that. And I think that's sort of the first step is letting people know that the spirit of Christ is a liberator. God came to set us free. Yeah. And we get to walk in that freedom. And so that's the first message is encouraging people to be free in who they are and not feeling like they have to be in bondage to gender stereotypes, to shame, to guilt, to anything and to walk in that freedom. You know, yeah, I feel that because it's just when you said that about it's always a negative conversation. I'm just like, yeah, it really is like. You, mm-hmm. We talk about so much other stuff in positive and negative, good and bad, but like yeah. that one thing, the good of it isn't discussed. And I feel like the church like feels like if they talk about the good of it, it's going to be encouraging you to do it. But like, that's not, it's not how it works. Like you say something is good, but it is for a time. Like we talk about how great and amazing college is, but you don't think kindergartners are going to want to run off to college. Like you are not prepared. And this is why, you know, you have to go through these other stages to get there. Like you can talk about something being good, great and amazing, but you know that it is for another time in your life. If that's what you choose to believe. Or I feel like, they're against people having their own journey. They want to churn out their perfect Christians. Like, okay, I'm just going to make you my child or whatever into the perfect Christian. I'm not going to let you make the mistakes that made me who I am. And that's like step for Christians. It's like you want to churn out these people who haven't even had the experiences to then relate to more people and bring more people in. Because if you see somebody who quote unquote was born to be perfect in Christ, that's not going to encourage me to want to come to because you don't understand what I'm going through or what I have to transform through to, you know, get to that place. So it's just very, it's off putting. <laughs> like I didn't even think about the fact that it's always negative. And I think another thing is you just have a lot of people that aren't teaching sound doctrine. So you, you have people who are talking about, sex in such bad, unhealthy ways at church that people don't even want to hear that. So it's, no, people don't want to hear a repressive gospel. People don't want to hear a half truth. So when you don't start from the premise of who God is, why God created you, what was the purpose of God creating sex and marriage? Because the question on the table is, how does this point us to Jesus? Mm -hmm. Um, And and why is our message different from what the world is telling us? And and what the messaging and the packaging and the marketing is in what I can get if I just went and sat in a bar or in a club or went to brunch with my girlfriends? Mm -hmm. Why would I come here if, if what I'm hearing is not different? And I think the problem is, is that so few people are just teaching it the right way. Mm-hmm. What is the purpose of it? And so when you take sex and make it this repressive, rules-based, law-based, only these people can do it, 
these people have to miss out. If you're like this, you can't do it. You can't. That's not what it's about. Yeah. yeah. No, it's not about anybody missing out or anybody getting to partake. The question on the table is always wherever I am, whoever I am, whether I'm married, whether I'm single, whether my attraction's been this way or this way, in whatever station I am, how does everything about me point me towards Jesus? Mm -hmm. And the church is doing a really bad job of orienting people towards Jesus. Instead, what we do is we make people feel really, really terrible if they're not one plus one equals two. Yeah. If they're not yeah. a guy who wears a polo shirt and khakis, who wants to be married tomorrow, and who is coming to all the singles event, who is celibate or a virgin, or if you're a girl and you're not chaste and you haven't rewrapped your gift, you know. We all we're doing is doing a really good job of making people feel terrible. And then you get into marriages, people like me who grew up in the church, and then you have to unwrap all of this terrible, terrible psychological stuff that you've been taught because now you're in this relationship with this other person and you're like, oh snap, we're married and we are both really jacked up. Yeah. Because we yeah. don't believe a whole lot of stuff that is not true and it's really unhealthy. And so now I have a lot of unhealthy expectations that I am lopping on you and you have a lot of unhealthy expectations that you are lopping on me and sex is a gift to be enjoyed yeah. and experienced and, and, and lavished on each other. And we can't even do that because we have all this repressive, unhealthy stuff in our heads that we have been taught that has no basis in the word of God. And how do we unpack it and get free from all of this so we can be healthy and not kill each other? Because if we stay bound in this whole, well, I need to want sex four or five times a week. Mm -hmm. I need to, you know, be a woman who, when we went to marriage counseling, the woman said that the three S's for a happy husband are support, supper, and uh, sex. And the, the fourth unspoken one was sports center. And I'm like, um, I don't, I don't, I'm not a robot. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm not a robot. So some days you will have to get your own supper. I'm going to bed. I'm not, I'm a human. So there are some days when I'm just, I'm not going to be able to be a young, I'm not going to be able to fix your life. You can have all the sports dinner you want though, homie. But like we, we literally tell people this in church, like women are supposed to come into marriage and be everything a man needs. Mm -hmm. Houseway. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really sexist. Even in the, you know, when people are trying to be so strict, like if somebody pops up at a church pregnant, they want to kick them out or not let them come. But the guy can be sitting there in the pew and you wouldn't know. He he coming on. Like, but just because it's a physical representation for the woman or you or you telling women to put that put this 
on your over your knees, cover this mm-hmm. up, you know, don't be this. But our bodies are, you know, great things. You know, you're supposed to respect your body. They're a temple. Temples are looked at and revered, like, but women are told that theirs are shame to be shameful of and covered up and you shouldn't even like that with pregnancy, like it's a, is it a fear of pregnancy that you get too? Like, because pregnancy is mm-hmm. bad, 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 that you don't even know how to, we don't research it either. Like things that you're scared of and think are bad. This is, this could be a part of the reason why we have the high mortality rates, you know, with the, our community because people, it's something that's bad. So you don't even know what it should be like. You don't even look things up about it necessarily to be like, this isn't how this is supposed to go because you haven't even thought about it until bam, you're married or whatever. And you just pop up pregnant. So because if you tell people to just say no, what are you teaching them to say yes to? Yeah. What are you teaching them to be informed about? How are you teaching them to make decisions? Because if the only thing I know how to say is no, Mm -hmm. what else am I supposed to say? So that means that, you know, how do I engage when I find out I'm pregnant? Because all I knew to how to say is no. Yeah. Well, at the point when I'm pregnant, clearly that didn't work. It did. So <laughs> what conversation do I have now? You yeah. know, and I think that, again, that goes back to the shame, guilt, and judgment. Mm-hmm. We're so busy shame, guilting, and judging people that we feel like if we empower people with information that we're enabling them in bad behavior. Yeah. And that is not the same thing. It's definitely um, We can be very clear about what God's word says, how God calls us to live, to um, encourage people and call them to holiness while being realistic about the place where they find themselves in life mm-hmm. and helping them in that place and not encouraging people to remain ignorant about their biology, about mm-hmm. their bodies, about how to care for themselves about how to be empowered to make choices that protect them. And I think that for so long we've created this dichotomy that if we teach people about what sex is and how it works, that we're somehow encouraging them to sin. And my question about that always was, well, here's the thing. I know that you can call people to holiness and say sex is for marriage. Um, God designed it to be in the holy covenant of marriage between one man and one woman exclusively within that covenant. Mm -hmm. You can be very clear in teaching that doctrine to people while explaining to them biologically how their body works, explaining to them what feelings happen in puberty and what feelings happen in attraction and explaining to them, because here's the thing, the Bible tells us to be armed, put on the whole armor. So one of the things about ill-equipping people that I am always so confused about is how are people going to be armed to resist something if you deny them the information? Yeah. If you deny them the information. So you can give people information about what sex is, what the danger is, you know, because we we do this whole thing with health. We show people the weenie with the cauliflower on it in eighth grade. Okay, so if you're going to show them the weenie with the cauliflower, go on and show them how to put a condom on. 
Exactly. Because how did they get the cauliflower? Like it's like a stop in the reason. It's like a scare tactic tactic, but they don't march it all the way back to say this is what sex is. This is how this guy, this is how you can prevent it. This is how they just want to throw a fake baby at you for you to take care of over the night or show you the cauliflower weenie and be like, don't get these things. You, Ooh. <laughs> like, you know, like these kids don't got iPhones and know that penicillin going to get the cauliflower off in 48 hours. You know, right. I want to show them how to put the condom on. Yeah. Give them but some real them information. At the same time, call them to holiness empower them empower them to know how their bodies work and i think what is so important then is you take the sting out of it you take the guilt out of it you take the judgment out of it because now what we're saying is you don't have to hide we are giving you all the information you need when you go out in this sex crazed world everything that is going to come at you you are now equipped to handle yeah. You have all of the information to set your own boundaries. You know what God's standard is. You, you know what the standard of holiness is, but you have to be on guard. You have to be prepared in your life because I think we assume that if we just send people out here defenseless that, oh, well, well, if we, if we don't, if we don't tell them that, then they will decide that they will do the right thing because if you give them a condom, you're telling them that implied in that, that it's okay to have, no, 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 no. No, you're not. No, no. I mean, I have a gun in my home. I've never shot it. I never want to shoot it. But should an intruder come in, I would like to be prepared. Exactly. And if you, if you want to take it to your basic every day, I got an umbrella, but I'm not asking it to rain every day, but I am prepared and I know how to use it. If that day <laughs> should come, and yeah. when it does rain, yeah. it's planned to rain. So yeah, that's it's yeah. so true. It's like, we need to be totally prepared and educated so that we're prepared for what's to come because that kind of is a good segue into when people get into these marriages, like you mentioned, and you are so used to, if, if you enter in marriage as a virgin, or even if you don't, some people still have that, You because people who are in the church a lot, even if you are having sex before, there's still sometimes a guilt there. And now mm -hmm. you're having sex where the guilt is supposed to be released, but you can't help if it's come back up because you spent decades having that guilt. And then there are the people who are virgins and do not have a clue. And also now their identity sometimes has been so stoked in being a virgin that when you take mm -hmm. that away from them, it's like they lose a part of themselves. And that's mm -hmm. like, that's dangerous for a woman to then your whole identity is changing anyway because you're going from being a single person to a wife. You may be having a kid before you even get to really the realization of what sex really is and how to enjoy it. You may already have kids, you know? Yeah. Oh, well, that, that happened to me. I, I think, well, I wasn't a virgin, but yeah. I got pregnant way faster than I planned on it. I got married December 3rd and I found I was pregnant by New Year's Eve. So I was married less than a month before I found out I was pregnant. Um, 
And so I think what happens oftentimes, particularly for women in church, there is um, an identity affirmation you're told that you're supposed to get in marriage, mm-hmm. that your whole life is somehow leading towards this preparation for marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, what nobody tells you on the other side that I'm about to tell y'all, that is low-key disappointing. Ooh. Because, and it's, it, it, it's an intentional disappointment and eventually you will be grateful for the disappointment because your heart is set up to be satisfied by Christ. Mm-hmm. So you have this expectation that you carry that oftentimes is built and made bigger by the people around you, mm-hmm. um, particularly women in church, that something is going to happen in you as a woman, to you as a woman, in your identity as a woman, once you get that ring on your finger. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Something inside of you is supposed to become magically fulfilled. And sis, <laughs> no, it, it, it is not true. It is a, it is a, disappointing expectation um, because you are marrying a son of Adam who is imperfect, Mm -hmm. who has baggage, who has problems, who will leave the toilet seat up, who um, any, anything, any issue you have, any problem you have, he has stuff too. Right. So any capacity you think he has to complete you in any way, Mm -hmm. you are sorely mistaken. Mm -hmm. Marriage is meant to complement, not complete. We are made complete in Christ. And Mm -hmm. unless you are sold out to that reality, marriage will be a sore disappointment for you because marriage is a place of service. It is not a place of satisfaction. It is a place of service because again, the question is how does marriage point you towards Jesus? The marriage relationship is designed to be exhibit a to the world of how Christ loves us. It is supposed to be a covenant relationship that is unconditional. That is a reflection of loving somebody who is unperfect, who is undeserving a hundred percent of the time, whether they earn it or not. Because that is what Jesus does for us. So the world does not love that way. So what Jesus decided in his sovereignty is, I am going to set up little bitty examples all throughout the world so that people can be able to look around and say, you know, I can't wrap my my mind around how someone, a God in heaven, could know everything about me and love me anyway. What people are supposed to be able to say is, oh, you mean how Bill loves Sandra? Oh, you mean how Sharon loves Joe? Oh, you mean how Connie and Mike love each other? That is what marriage is supposed to be. So it is not a place of satisfaction. It is a place of service. It is a place of devotion. So when you come to marriage with the expectation of you being at the center, you are going to be sorely disappointed Mm -hmm. because the 
when you come to marriage with the mind of Christ, you are coming to love somebody even when they are unlovable. You are coming to forgive the unforgivable. You are coming to um, be committed even when you don't want to be. You are coming to say in good times and bad times. And listen, I'm saying this as somebody who I have just gone through a hard season in my marriage. I am going through a hard season in my marriage. Um, my husband moved out of my home the weekend before Christmas and he just moved back in. So I'm not telling y'all nothing that I read in a book. I'm telling you what I'm living right now. Okay. So you, you have these expectations that marriage is supposed to be about you, but marriage is about you being poured out for the benefit of somebody else. And I think the church does a really bad job of telling people that. Yeah. And what sex yeah. is supposed to be, is supposed to be the physical representation of the intimacy we experience spiritually with Christ. And if that were explained to people better as kids, as teenagers, even as singles, it would make a lot more sense why we want to tell people, share this with your husband. This is why God doesn't intend for you to have multiple partners. Because in the same way you have one spot in your heart reserved for the creator, yeah. the place where God designed for you to be uniquely intimate with him, sex is supposed to represent that with your spouse. Instead of heaping judgment and guilt and shame on people, when you explain it like that, when you tell people what it is for, why God designed it that way, it becomes then, oh, I get it. The yeah. spirit of God is yeah. a liberator. It is not an oppressor. It does not intend for you to be in bondage. And when you come to marriage with all these expectations about what you're supposed to get or what you're supposed to give as opposed to what a marriage is supposed to be, that's how you get hurt. Hey, podcast family. So I know a lot of you guys know me from my time in DC um, and specifically at GW. Both Amber and I happen to be colonials. We both went to the George Washington University. And April 5th through the 7th is the 2019 Black Alumni Reunion in D.C. This episode is sponsored by the reunion. So this year, the biennial reunion is Raising the Bar, a Legacy of Excellence. And it's hosted by the GW Black Alumni Association. So if you are a GW alum, make sure you check out the event. It kicks off Friday, April 5th with a meet and greet mixer. There are events all day on Saturday and it concludes on Sunday, April 7th with a send off jazz brunch. I wish I could be in town to kick it with all my GW colonials, but y'all have fun for me and tag me in some pictures. Now back to the discussion with my fellow colonials. That's how you get hurt. Yeah, it's just, just bad preparation. And I'm so happy that yeah. you broke it down like that as the physical representation. Because even as you were going through it, and I was just like, well, and I was thinking in my head, I was like, so sex is the physical like representation. And then you said it, and I was just like, you know what? That just, that brings it all together and like helps you really understand the rationale 
because a lot of times you get the just do this because this is what we're saying to do and the why is really what invites people to do that thing yes because you're just dangling it there saying don't have this the apple in the garden Mm -hmm. (laughs) you when you don't know why you go pluck it to figure out why or you know so it's just it's just like that like if you don't really fully understand why you're being held back from it then you're gonna go and test it it's just how people are in general a lot of times they go and test it and also the church does a really bad job of making single people feel like they are the bottom of the barrel the gum on jesus's sandal or whatever kind of shoe he wore when he was out ministering out here in these jerusalem streets And I think that's also the reason why we are so poor at ministering to people who struggle with, you know, same sex attractions, queerness, because we don't understand that there is a very clear place in the Bible where God makes a promise to single people, where God literally in Isaiah makes a promise to outcasts. And so when we tell people, to lie about their attractions or lie about their feelings or lie about what's going on inside of them. It's like, you are missing the point. The point is not to deny how you feel. The point is to decide that in those feelings, I am going to take them to Jesus Christ and trust him with the feelings, not pretend like I don't have the feelings or not pretend like I have to, you know, like people get into this whole thing about what well, you couldn't possibly be born this way. First of all, ain't nobody's mama lying about them wearing high heels when they was two. First of all, it doesn't even matter. What matters most is not where the feeling came from, but what you do with the feeling. And that's true, whether you're gay, straight, a little bit of both in between. It, it, that's the same for everybody. We make people feel like if they are not going to be one man, one woman, and 2.5 kids, that they need to be hidden away in the closet because somehow they have failed at life. And that is why sex is so hard for people because we make them feel like if they ain't getting it or if they ain't if they ain't on the way to getting it, that somehow they are missing out on something. And I think as a church, that is one of the craziest, harshest failures that we have. And not pointing people to the promises of God that he has made, that he has a place in his house for people who are single, who are eunuchs, who are outcasted, and he says it outright. To the sons and daughters who are these, I have a special place in my house for you. So you don't have to aspire to be married. You don't have to try to change your gender attraction or, you know, go out here and feel like you have to compromise or have sex. God remembers everybody. And we make people feel like sex is the be all end all. And that makes us no different than the world. And that is what bothers me most about the church is that we have kind of given in and played that same game. And I really honestly hate that. Yeah. I really hate that. That's so true. And then it's just like, 
they want to they don't want to understand like the influences you know like of the world and that mm-hmm. everything isn't all in what they say like even once you get yeah. into your marriage and or you start having sex and then you want to go to therapy they're like oh but you just pray about it you know like but we had <laughs> but god put people here who have learned this method of treatment in therapy to assist us just like he put the people here to learn this method of medicine just like he put people here to be to save you in other way like it's i've sent three boats i'm not just gonna magically pick you up out of everything every time abuse and sex are one of the areas where the church is doing a poor job of issue spotting and encouraging people to get the help that they need both in and out of marriage and that is really tragic um because you have people who are suffering yeah suffering and i will i will raise my hand my my husband and i were having some very serious issues in our marriage and i will tell you one of the things that I resented most when I was going through my problems is this sort of weaponized spirituality. When people assume that you're kind of spiritual, they just kind of send you back to unhealthy situations and tell you to endure it. Yeah. And because, well, girl, you know, the word of God, you know, God's will ain't for y'all's family to be split up. So just, you know, hang in there. And it's like, but sis, he's treating me like garbage. Yeah, because he's he has some issues he needs to work out. Um, and what I realized eventually, like when we did go to therapy, and my Christian counselor was like, he needs to leave the home for a little bit because he's not well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's not well, mm-hmm. so he needs to leave the home for a little bit, so some healing can take place. Because a lot of times, what we fail to realize is when you are telling people things like endure it, endure it stay stay um keep your family together you never know the unhealthy things that children might be being exposed to the unhealthy pathology that might be developing between people that even if the issues were dealt with when you tell people to stay together in unhealthiness a lot of times um negative things happens that Oftentimes when the people heal, if you stayed in unhealthiness too long, that can create really bad history and really bad energy yeah. that once the healing has occurred, you know, those scars are real. Yeah. The church can be very bad about encouraging people to do things that can create unhealthy foundations in their relationship. That's so true. we definitely yes. have to be better about calling people to go out and get professional help and not put in any shame on that and not encourage to stay in places where they're being abused, not physically, not emotionally, not spiritually, not psychologically. Um, because we, God's will is for families to be together, but that looks different for everybody. Yes. Cause there is no yes. doubt in my mind that my husband and I would not have been able to stay together if he had not left our home for those months. Right. He had to go. He had to go because he wasn't well. Mm -hmm. And he had to go and pursue his healing because if he had stayed here, I was going to end up on snapped. Okay. Yeah. I, I, 
I feel you. Oh, snap. Yeah, you it, you would you would snap. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's like I do understand what you're saying. Like it's the healing and the churches seems to be invested in the the outside healing. Like, oh well, y'all as a family come back to church. Oh, well, you, you must be good. But it's just like you can break a bone and it heals, and you always but you still feel the phantom pain underneath of what happened but it looks good on the outside you look like you're fine to people and that's the healing that gets invested in does it look good and that's right. the thing with sex like it you people going around doing it people abusing but don't don't let it get out because then it looks bad it doesn't matter that it's going on in the background until it looks We're going good. on in the pulpit <laughs> right all over the place that the, you know the preacher out here sleeping with whoever until a baby pop up that's when it looked bad but y'all knew all the time all the time and you like you're right you need to invest in like healing fully through and through all the way and not just doing what is what seems to be um okay and accepting people like you said it's, people have all kind of different walks with god especially when it comes to sexuality, people have been LGBTQ throughout the span of time. So you can't act like, oh, well, this is just something new and people are doing whatever. You know, you can still be of God, just like you could have stole something when you were little and still be of God. You can do everything against God that you want to, and he still can take you in if you, if you want to give your heart to him. This is not a, a cutoff, you know? And to a lot of people, that, yeah. it, because it's something that they lived, how they lived their life all the time. And that's just not something. And just the, when you said the people like, you can't be born with this. There's so many things that we can be born with, like mental illness. And I guess that's something the church also has a problem with. Everything is in our body is controlled with our brain and with the organs that we're born with. And every day, children are born with an issue with their brain, an issue with the organ, an issue with any type of thing that changes something in your body. Any of that can change within you being created in the womb with God. And he knows who you are. He knows what issues you have. He knows what's going to mm -hmm. come about. And for people to say that you couldn't be born like this limits God to me. And I think think people like to put God in this pretty box of all the things that he wants but really he's expansive that he covers all the people yeah I'm actually working on a bible study right now um where I am talking about comprehensively because I am so tired of people just preaching and teaching wrongly on sex and and um being gay and same sex attracted and even just sex in general but just sort of walking through the idea of how you can comprehensively believe the word of god from genesis to the idea of marriage being a covenant between a man and woman to the idea of believing that a person can be born with same sex attraction to the idea that you don't have to pray the gay away, mm -hmm. but believing that we don't have to be ruled by our attractions and our feelings, um, to that being all in 
um, harmony with the pursuit of social justice yes. and fight for equality in our society um, and still believing in what the Bible says. And so I think it's so important for us to understand that sex is a very small part of God's redemptive plan for mankind. And what happens when we take it and make it into this huge weapon that we blast people off with, we create huge holes of shame in people's hearts. And why that's particularly dangerous, because sex is the place where God models intimacy for humans, mm -hmm. um, it impacts how people view God in other places. Um, because when you have sex shame, when you've been made to feel bad about yourself intimately and who you like or who you're attracted to and your body and your identity in that way, um, it is really hard to come back and have a healthy view of yourself mm -hmm. and then have a healthy view mm -hmm. of yourself as an image bearer loved by God who was redeemed by God. Um, and so that is really hard when we sort of blow sex up and make it this, this weapon instead of this tool that God meant for it to be. And I, I think that's really sad. Yeah. I think that's really sad yeah. to do that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good point that you really needs to be the tool that God meant for it to be. And that's like really where you just, we just really all need to start is like the education and the understanding of what it was. Because I just, even this conversation is really the first time I've ever heard it put like that. Like mm -hmm. I understood, but it's just like when you say it, <laughs> like that it just makes so much sense it's like such mm -hmm. an aha moment of how it actually comes all together because like you said everything is supposed to be to bring you closer to god and glorify him including sex <laughs> so you can't just exclude it and it's always excluded it's always yeah excluded. And when it's not excluded, you can't be talking about it like it's some, you know, dark, dirty secret or mm -hmm. some horrible thing. And you got to give people the permission to groan about it. Like my thing is this. I, I tell people, you got to be willing to scoot over on your pew and make room for people who groan differently than you. And give them room to cry out to God about the things that concern them and trust that even if it makes you uncomfortable, that the God who created the universe can handle it, even if you can't. So if it bothers you, close your two little ears. But we have got to get okay with allowing people to tell the truth. Because I always tell people there are too many places in the Bible where God talks about being, he's full of compassion. He abounds in love, mercy, and grace. Those are feelings, okay? Those are not provision words. So God clearly cares about our feelings. Yeah. Because God yeah. didn't tell us he was full of compassion. He, was, he abounded in love and mercy and grace. Those are feelings. So God is clearly telling us that because he cares about our feelings. So 
it is okay for you to cry out to God about your sexual experiences, your sexual mm-hmm. desires, where you find yourself in your relationships or your lack thereof. And we make it where people have to be zipped up and uncomfortable like God don't know you get horny like God don't know you want a man like God don't know you be posting that meme like where you trying to be up on somebody's son or you want a date or you child God know you want to get you know get, get out in your little thigh dress you bought on sale at Fashion Nova God know you want to go on a date let's tell him talk to him about it God I am lonely I'm yes. lonely I am hurting inside. I miss companionship or I feel different because I feel like nobody wants me and I don't know why. Whatever you feel, however you feel, there is a reason why God gives us descriptors for how he's all of these feeling things, where he rises up, where he catches our tears. So we have to be comfortable groaning to God in our feelings about our sexual identity. Because I think for a long time, we've been encouraged to be quiet about it. Mm -hmm. And the first step in being truly intimate with another person is being truly intimate with God, trusting God with your whole heart and deciding that whatever you feel, however you feel in your body, however you feel in your attractions, that you're willing to trust God with that and tell him Mm -hmm. about it. Because it's not like you're telling him to inform him. He knows you are telling him as an act of intimacy to show that you trust him with your heart and with your feelings and with your emotions and that you believe he will rise to meet you with love and compassion. Jesus was a single man. He had biology. So the Bible says he was tempted in all the same ways we were. I don't believe Jesus lived 33 years and never had an erection. He was tempted in all the same ways we were. He was a fully human man. He had a whole entire human body, which means he he lived 33 years. He died in the prime of his life. He died at 33. Jesus was 33 years old. He was a 33-year-old man with a 33-year-old penis. Okay? So, So when God says that Jesus is a mediator, and he sits and he talks to God about what it's like to be human. Mm-hmm. That means that when you cry out to God, Jesus is our great empathizer. That means he says, yeah, God, let me explain to you what it's like to be human and horny. Let me explain to you what it's like to be human and alone. Because I know I've been there. So we don't have to withhold those emotions from Jesus Christ like he's some Oompa Loompa who only knows what this experience is like intellectually. Yeah. He's been there and done that. And we can trust him with our feelings about sex. And I think that is one of the great disservices that the church does to us is by not letting us know that we can groan openly about our sexual identity, about our sexual feelings, about our sexual desires before the Lord. Yeah. Tell it. Yeah, let's have have a little talk with Jesus about about everything. <laughs> just just we need Lord, to I'm single. Yes. We need to I want to get out. laid and I shouldn't want to get that. Please help me not to feel like that. But Please. I feel like Yeah, it's like it's an unspoken thing. And like you said, with the shame of it, 
you don't even want to speak to God about it. Like he don't know. And that that's, yeah, that's so real. That's so true. It's like, he clearly knows. And that's another thing. People like shame me. Don't, don't talk to God about that. Or like shame you into how you talk to, you got to do it this particular. No, you don't have to do it this particular way in this order and that. No, like, each person is different. Everything they bring into the altar is not going to be what you bring into the altar. That's exactly yeah. right. And you can't just, why are you bringing just your clean stuff to the altar? Because that ain't what needs to go up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he, he said, Paul says in Ephesians, I mean, excuse me, in Romans, it's 12, one, that we present our bodies, your, your, your mind, your desire, everything, everything that's in you is a part of your body. It is it's a living sacrifice. So you can't sacrifice something that you're withholding, that mm-hmm. you're withholding. How can you sacrifice something that you're withholding? That makes you dishonest. And a lot of us are trying to walk out our Christian faith, but we struggle because we are not worshiping in spirit and in truth. Remember when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, he said, the time is coming and has now come when the father is looking for people. And the truth, you have to be willing to tell God the truth. You got to tell him the truth. You got to tell him the truth. That doesn't mean that your truth is the right truth. It doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit isn't going to convict you. But you got to be willing to tell him the truth. Right. You're willing to tell him the truth. Right. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. That's a real one. That's a real one. Yeah, because you can't expect, yeah, that's right. You can't expect him to help you if you're not giving all the information. He already has it, but he's asking you to bring it to him. So if you not we need, yeah, you go into God lying. Lord, you know, Lord, and that Lord be looking at you like, so what? So that's what we doing today. That's what we doing today. I'd be like, girl, that's why I be like when Jesus turn off my um my messages. He'd be like, here, I ain't listening to you today. Like, I got my, I got my appointment. It'd be like seen, seen at four fifty two. You'd be like, oh, so you just okay? I must let me revise. Let me let me let me lay this out here again because um, clearly I missed something. He is not dealing with me today. Okay. Yes. Yes. So if you had like one like last piece of advice that you would give people when it came to sex and how to take some of the stigma away from that. If somebody is, you know, like our age or younger and like dealing with this now as they're coming into age, like where where would you say they started? Like what's some good advice? I would say the first thing to to know is that you are not defined by whether you are or are not having sex. One of the things I wish I had known about that I literally just found about found out um, last year um, was Isaiah 56. I encourage every person who is single to go and read Isaiah 56. It is a beautiful promise to single people and people who feel outcasted in the Bible. Um, Just at a time when people who were treated differently were were just dealt such a harsh hand to see God literally call them by name and say, if you, and he uses the word eunuch, which includes single celibate and um, people who were castrated in Mm -hmm. slavery. 
and God literally makes a promise to eunuchs. Um, and so I would just encourage anybody who's single to read Isaiah 56, first and foremost. Um, second of all, I would say recognize that feelings are indicators, not dictators. So what you feel, however you feel, is okay. Mm-hmm. Nothing mm-hmm. you feel is wrong. But your feelings don't have to rule you. Um, and the world wants you to believe that. That is what the message of the world is. If you feel it, yeah. do it. If you want it, buy it, take it. You know, if, if whatever you, what, you know, case sera, sera. Yeah. Um, but I think the question on the table always should be for any person who desires to submit to the Lordship of Christ in all of your feelings. Mm-hmm. How do these feelings point me towards Jesus? That should really be the question. And I think when that question guides your life, we see that it kind of serves as like a, a really effective stopgate because then it takes away the guilt and the shame because you can be honest and tell the truth. So yeah, okay, I'm feeling a little hot and bothered right now. I want this or I want that or I'm feeling this desire or I'm feeling this way or I'm feeling this attraction or I'm feeling like I want to be in this relationship but I have these reservations. How does this point me towards Jesus? And I think what the stopgate is, is that you automatically know that the intention of the feelings is not to be ruled by them, but to allow those feelings to draw out of you a purpose or a plan that glorifies God Mm. and brings out a good that he intends for your life. And that really is the ultimate aim of every single thing that God put in you, that he gave you, the reason why you have the number of hairs you have, the reason why you got the mom and daddy you have, the skin color, the inclinations you have, every single thing. All of those things are to glorify God and to bring forth the particular good that he wants to use you to bear for the world. And so with that in mind, I think, the feelings then become less of a um, an impulse jerker, you know, like, oh my gosh, I'm so horny, I'm going to die, oh my gosh, you know, I feel so terrible about all the decisions I made, like, it, you know, because some, mm-hmm. especially with sexual stuff, it can be really, really hard on your emotions. So I would just tell people to make sure that you use your feelings as indicators and not dictators that point you towards Jesus and read Isaiah 56. Yes. yes. That's, that's good advice. I'm going to read that myself as a single person <laughs> and see what's up. Yeah. Yes, girl. So, yes, you just point everything to how it glorifies God and sex glorifies yes. God, but how? <laughs> so, that that's, girl, you know you just be on here preaching. Well, thank you. I'll be trying. Listen, I, I, I'm, I'm on a slow bus and I firmly believe God was like, let me put you on the slow bus so you can help some other people because 
sis, you be struggling. So I, I, you know, I firmly believe, again, that's why he put me on the slow bus, that particular, because it took me a long time, especially yeah. with the sex part. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, but girl, that'd be the best learning. That Ain't is. nobody got time for that testimony. <laughs> I can't with you. That'd be the best learning. Sometimes, you know, to be the best teachers, the people yes. been through it can impart. Yes. If it just click for you, you don't understand how to get me through it. If you look like if you look at math problems and you just see the answer, how yeah. will you ever take me through step by step? Yeah, where it yeah. doesn't make sense yeah. to me. If you've been through yeah. it and you got through it or you got through anything, you understand how to take somebody through the steps. And that's what, yeah. that's what you need. And, and I yeah. think that's the kind of education we need in the church. Like take us through the steps of this, not just jumping to the end of this is this thing. Don't do it. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> how am I right. getting, how am I getting to it? Right. So that's, right. that, that's a good point to really like end on and Hopefully Maybe all the pastors will listen to this and, and, and Jesus will send down a text message to them because <laughs> otherwise. They Shondo in the Londo, Shondo. Oh, text them, Jesus. Shondo, Shondo, Lord. <laughs> Let them know, Lord. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome, friend. I had a great time. Thank you for inviting me back. Of course. Anytime. You know, I'm going to have you on here all the time talking foolishness and religion. <laughs> yes. I'm just, you know, I'm just waiting for my turn to come on with Granny. <laughs> girl, bring you on with Granny. Girl, this is going to be a mess. <laughs> Your favorite. I think I'm having another episode with her sometime soon. For you to get your life, body, my time. My granny's biggest fan, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> granny is the her. world's best celebrator. <laughs> that is so funny to me every time you say it. But tell the people how they can follow you if they want to get in contact with you. So I'm on Instagram at Amber W Booker, and Whitney's going to help me fix my life. I'm going to have a website soon. I promise. Um, and I'm on Facebook at Amber Webb Booker. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's it for now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're we going to get her together because y'all need this word. I know y'all feel me. Like, y'all make sure you let us know, like, in the comments oh. and so on. And in the ratings that you are feeling, Amber, and her content. Because we're going to oh. get her. We're going to oh, get her. Content. Y'all are so sweet. Y'all are so sweet. Thank you for having me back. I appreciate of it. Of course. Love having you. Thank you for listening to When Wit Happens. You can find Wit living her best life at withhappen6.com and at withhappen6 on social media. Subscribe and follow for updates. Until next time, keep living your best life.